All right, we are back this week with another episode of Southeast Whitetail. Thanks for clicking play. Um, thanks for all the feedback that I've received on this podcast. It uh, it keeps me going to do it, and it also lets me know that people actually actually are listening to it. So that's kind of confirmation that someone out there really is listening to me, um, which is good to know. It makes me makes it worthwhile that I'm doing something right, I guess. Um, I would also appreciate it if y'all could subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. I think the rating and the review is, is more on the important side. It helps me uh, get better content and guests on the line, um, try to grow this grow this podcast, and this brand of Southeast Whitetail, bringing everything to you from for habitat, conservation, venison um, in the Southeast. Um, Larry White is this week's guest. He runs the wildgamegourmet.com. He's uh, Wild Game Gourmet on Instagram, an incredible follow, um, it, just some incredible dishes that he puts out there, recipes that are very easy to follow, and it's stuff that, you know, you and me can do at our house. And, um, you know, you, you I, I'm guilty of it. You get caught up in the same dishes, the same uh, meals, you know, over and over. You need to spice things up. You need to, you know, do something different. This guy uses everything from de from deer, wild pigs, turkey, pheasants, you name it. He's got something for it. And, you know, e even if you've got, let's say, some elk or some moose or black bear, you don't necessarily have to look for a recipe that, that calls for black bear or moose or mule deer. You, you can use a lot of different cuts of red meat for, for you know, dishes like that. It, it doesn't have to be specific uh, for venison or whatever else, but check out his content. It's very good. He's, he was a great interview. Um, if you're a hunter, if you pull the trigger or release an arrow on wild things out there, there is something, there's many things that you're going to take away from this because that's the ultimate goal. I mean, that's why we hunt, right? It's not for the antlers. It's not for the beard or the spurs, or the tusk. Um, it's for the meat, right? I mean, that's why we're doing it. That's that's what keeps us going. Um, to, you know, push ourselves to, to load the freezer up with some of that sweet wild game meat. So without further ado, let's get right into it with Larry White of the Wild Game Gourmet. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Southeast Whitetail. I'm Mark Aslam, and I am excited to finally have on the line here Larry White uh, from Wild Game Gourmet. Larry, thanks for being on board here. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me. And I say finally, finally got him on line. That's 100% my fault. Um, as I mentioned, I think on last week's episode, I've had some major Wi-Fi issues, um, and we started with the inside troubleshooting with a router and ended up in our yard. Uh, Xfinity Comcast had to uh, replace a buried cable coax. So it took a while, had a big hiatus a little bit, about a month or so uh, on this podcast. And Larry was one that I, I, I had on my list to reach out to. And then we had him, I had him, you know, scheduled for a recording, but my Wi-Fi was, was failing. So here we are today. Larry, thanks for being on. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? what you do yeah i'm a uh, prior restaurant chef uh was in the restaurant industry for probably since about 2003 um 
military, started off cooking in the military, got out, um, went to culinary school again, uh, graduated with a bachelor's degree, did private chef, food truck, uh, ran a restaurant, worked in some fine dining, kind of a little bit of everything. Um, me and my wife ended up leaving the city, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, about going on four years ago, ended up moving out to the country of, uh, low country of South Carolina and moved on our own private little 40 acres and kind of living the dream right now. That sounds like it. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, reading your bio on your website, that, that sounds like you've accomplished a lot so far in your life. And, um, the homestead you've got set up, which, you know, talk about when you're, when you're 40 acres, that, that sounds like that's something I've always wanted to do. Just kind of get out of the city and have some land and not be able to see or, or, or hear your neighbors. Um, so that's, and that's a, that's a very nice area that you're in South Carolina. I'm definitely partial to that state. Um, well, why don't we just get right into it? Um, I, I've been looking forward to this because if anyone follows me, uh, on social media, you'll know that I'm very much into cooking wild game, mostly venison. Uh, I'm by no, mean, no means a chef, um, but I did work in the in the restaurant business for about seven or eight summers growing up. So I have an understanding a little bit, a little bit about the restaurant business, cooking, you know, just the basics. But um, I, I tell you, I love venison. I love the red meat. Um, we rarely, rarely buy beef. Uh, at all. So uh, it, it's something we, and thankfully I was fortunate enough to marry someone that, that likes venison too. And, you know, I, I think that's a big, uh, you know, a big piece of it. You know, if, if other people in your family or your household, they don't like wild game, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a challenge, you know, to cook, cook and make meals. So let's just, let's, you know, get right into it. I, I, you know, one of the questions I have for you, Larry, is something that, it gets talked about all the time, you know, the game, the, the gamey taste, you know, venison's gamey, you know, it, it, it smells and tastes like this and that. Well, well, you know, I mean, that's what venison smells and tastes like yeah. as opposed to, you know, beef and chicken and whatever else you buy from the store, which a lot of the, a lot of that meat, not that I'm going to dive into it from the store, like from Kroger Publix or wherever you shop, that meat's packaged, you know, a certain way. I mean, they inject things in it to, make it look more red and I mean, who, who knows what they're doing. So we know that venison's not supposed to smell like beef. It's not supposed to taste like beef, but no. there's obviously, you know, meat handling is without question. One of the top reasons why you, you have those certain flavors and, and smells and uh, you know, what a, a big game changer for us at, at our farm was when we finished our skinning shed. So we can actually, you know, skin and hang and let the carcass bleed out um, and let it age a little bit. We, we can't let it age too much because we're in the South and in the humidity, we just, it's very hard to keep out of the walk-in cooler. But Larry, can you talk a little bit about, you know, wild, let's just start with venison, white-tailed deer. And, you know, the kind of stigma that people have about the gamey flavors and taste and also, and how that relates in a meat handling, you know, from the field, you pull the trigger, it's a dead deer. What does someone need to do to handle it properly? Uh, first thing would be to, to get it gutted, you know, as, as quickly as possible, because, you know, everything on the inside is just going to keep, you know, heating up. Um, after that, you know, as, as long as you're doing a good job gutting the animal, you know, don't, still any any bile or 
any innards, you know, inside of the carcass, uh, that's going to help you out immensely. And then I would say beyond that, you know, getting it cooled down as, as quick as you can. Um, I know in South Carolina, it's a little bit harder if you are hunting kind of quote unquote our back country because you're legally not allowed to uh, break down the animal um, out in the field. You have to wait until you get it back to uh, your, I guess your final destination or whatever. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit harder to, and it's hot here. So it's, you know, you basically just want to do the best you can to get that thing either to the processor or back to your house and cleaned uh, quickly. But um, I, I would say a lot of that probably comes from people in hot states that, you know, that can't get it into the processor in time or, or gut it in time. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's uh, whenever I'm a, you know, if someone, you know, has a shot placement that's a little bit further back at our place. And I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I, yeah, I try to get those clean as fast as possible. I mean, regardless of the temperature, just because you don't want, um, you know, if you blow up that cavity, the guts, it's going to soak into the tenderloin. Yeah. I mean, you know, because the tenderloin's right there um, and the deer's probably going to be laying on the side. So depending on how much you've blown up on the inside, it, it's, you've got some meat that, 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 that bile, you know, bile touching right there. So um, what, yeah. Um, do you think there's, I mean, as far as aging, when people talk, people talk about aging venison, like letting it hang, letting the carcass hang in a walk-in cooler, we're in the Southeast. Um, is, is that, I mean, we find it difficult to keep the moisture, to keep the humidity out of our walk-in cooler. Is that something you really see that people can really age meat down here in the Southeast? Um. There's a couple of tricks, you know, you can do, uh, even if you have a small fridge that's dedicated for uh, meat, just one of the cheaper ones with the wire racks, not the glass, yeah. uh, shelving. Um, I usually just will take some meat hooks, you know, about Amazon, um, you know, hang your shoulders or your hindquarters, whatever you want to age in there, just make sure they're spaced out and get some airflow, or you can actually rig a fan up inside of there to keep the air circulating. And go in like every day, every other day, paper towels or some, you know, a clean towel and just keep that meat as dry as possible and just ample circulation. And that's how I age pretty much all my meat. And it, it works out fine. Um, and if you have moisture problems, there's, there's actually uh, contraptions. I have one from my charcuterie fridge that you can plug in your refrigerator, plug in um, a humidifier or a dehumidifier. Um, and that'll override your refrigerator system. You can actually huh. dial up. You can you can actually dial up your refrigerator's temperature if you want, or, or dial it down a little bit. Um, and if you have a controlled environment for aging meat or doing sausage or whatnot, um, and you can do that for a walk-in cooler uh, as well. You know, if you have like a cool bot or something like that um, in your garage. That's that's what I'm going to build. I'm going to end up having a. Uh, it's an old bathroom and a detached garage, and I'm going to kind of put panels up, turn that into a walk-in cooler, yeah. throw a uh, AC unit in there with a, uh, with a cool button. Uh, turn that that's, walk -in. that's a good idea for the dehumidifier. De we, we, our walk-in cooler was built, you know, it was kind of built, built from scratch. Um, we think the humidity is coming in from the door because the door is, it, you know, it's a regular exterior type door. Okay. It's not a, it's not one of those doors that you would see like in a commercial uh yeah. you know set up where it's got that it's got that nice locking handle um yeah. we've actually thought about switching switching the doors for that for that reason do you 
but you, you, you just said something that made me think about it. Do you think that there's a difference? It, do you think it makes a difference whether you hang the entire carcass? Because typically, you know, we, we're going <clears> to <throat> skin the deer, got it, you know, wash it off and clean up. So it's just a carcass, you know, all the hides off it, the hooves are off, everything's off. We're going to hang the whole carcass. You think it, it makes a difference, the whole carcass hanging, or if you were to actually cut up, like break it down, quarter it, you know, to where you're hanging the hams, the hindquarters, the shoulders all separately for better airflow or do you think that is um, done? It, it, I would say it depends on how long, you know, mm-hmm. you want to hang it. Uh, I would say that as far as, you know, bare minimum for tenderness of meat, I just wouldn't take it off the bone. Like even if you did separate everything and want to age it, I would leave it on the bone because I want to say they did some research and it's like at least three days on the bone is, is yeah. kind of what helps relax the meat. So if you're just want to go from, you know, a minimal standpoint to age, to, you know, to get some more tenderness out of it, I would go that route. But uh, you, you could do, um, you could, you could leave the whole animal up there with the, with the hide off, but it might be a little bit more work, you know, drying it off and keeping the moisture off of it unless you have yeah. a couple of fans in there. Yeah. Speaking of the hide, what, what do you think about people that uh, leave the hide on in a walk-in cooler? And I see it actually a good amount in South Carolina. And, and I know some, and there's some people who do it that, you know, they will uh, gut the deer. Basically, they're going to they're gonna clean it, but they're going to leave the hide on the meat, on the outside of the meat. Um, do you, I mean, do you have any experience in that? I mean, I, I, we don't do it in our walk. And we've I've actually have, I've never done it, but my father is allergic to deer hair a little bit. And we also try to keep our walk-in cooler as clean as possible. So that's another reason why we wouldn't want to, you know, but do you think there's anything there? I mean, I, I, what's been told to me is that it helps age the meat. That's, that's what I've heard. I've got some old school cookbooks and, mm-hmm. and they all prefer, you know, hundred percent to leave the hide on. And I, I've just never researched the science into it, but, uh, I mean, yeah, the older cookbooks and the old timers, I mean, they swear by it, but I've just, I've just never done it. It's just, to me, it's like kind of the same thing. It's like, I don't want one less thing to clean. I don't want to worry about hair yeah. the cooler and all that stuff. So. Yeah. Um, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've had that conversation with Joe Hamilton. Um, he founded, you know, QDMA and now NDA. Cause I'm pretty sure he posted about it. Um, leaving the hide on the walking cooler, and I talked to him about it. And so, um, I'm pretty sure he does it, but don't quote me on that. I we've just never done it, and, and so you know, it, like you said, it's it's just one more thing to where you know, usually we'll you know have the deer hang in after a, a weekend or a hunt, and then it's time to go home or bring it to a processor or whatever it is, and we just want to quarter up, quarter it up, throw it in the cooler bring it home or bring it to a processor. And if we left the hide on, like you said, it's just one more thing to do. Plus, like I said, we try to keep that walking cooler as clean as possible. Um, you know, clean it after, after some use um, just for germs and everything else. And I, you know, especially like this time of year, I mean, we've already been hunting yeah. and it's, you know, I mean, you know, wildlife is we're covered in ticks and parasites right now, but yeah. It's, I don't know if it was all the rain that we've had in the South this year, but it it's, we shot two bucks, uh, I guess two weeks ago, 
and it was just staggering the amount of ticks on them, just all over, especially on, on the velvet antlers. I mean, there were a ton of uh, – I mean, I, I've seen that before, but they were just loaded yeah. up, I guess, just sucking that blood dry. Um, yeah, that's something we've never um, – we've never tried leave, leaving the hide on. So, um, that's a good idea about the dehumidifier. Um, I know you do a lot with pigs, wild, you know – wild pork and that's something where you know people listening they either have pigs on their property or they know someone that does i mean feral pigs they are all over the place nuisance i I mean i could be wrong but i think every state you just have to have a hunting license i think most states are kind of like coyotes you just have to have a hunting license there's no bag limits um and there's pretty liberal laws about them they're a nuisance but you know they were brought here unless i'm wrong they were introduced here in the U S as a source of food, like a lot of animals, you know, they're brought here for food. And of course they exploded and really kind of took off. So, but I mean, you know, I grew up hunting a lot in Jasper County, South Carolina is right across the bridge from Savannah, low country and um, a lot of pigs over there. And I did a lot of pig hunting in um, coastal Georgia, a little bit about an hour South of Savannah on some barrier islands. Um, so, you know, people talk, I've heard it so much. You've probably heard it too about, you know, pigs, you can't eat pigs are nasty. Uh, the boars you can't eat unless, unless they're, you know, been, um, unless their balls been cut off. I forget the technical yeah. term, but bar. <laughs> bar, bar, pardon me for that. And I've heard, you know, you, you can't eat pigs out of the marsh. I mean, I, I've shot pigs out of, you know, hard marsh, out of the swamps. And I don't really, I don't really tell a difference. I mean, it's all good. Of course, you know, a hundred pound pig might be a little bit, at least in my experience, could be some tender, more tender meat, like a 300 pound boar, but it doesn't mean a 300 pound boar is, you know, bad meat. Um, So, you know, What's your take on wild pork? I know you cook a lot and, and share a lot yeah. of recipes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's hit or miss. I mean, most of the time, all your young pigs and all the sows that I've ever dealt with, like, never have an off smell or, or anything. And mm-hmm. matter of fact, the last pig that I shot was probably about around a 200-pound boar, and it was just as clean tasting as the, as the sows. Oh. Yeah, I mean, you, you could run into a nasty older boar. I mean, that's worst case scenario, but I, I just think that's it's few and far between. And if you do, I mean, just cut a little piece of fat off and kind of throw it in the pan and see what it smells like. And if for some reason it, it does have an off smell to it, you just trim off any exterior fat you can. And then just the best thing in my, in my mind is to do is to use like a heavier kind of more robust seasonings and use and, and turn it into sausage. So like Middle East, Eastern seasonings, uh, kind of stuff like that uh, is probably your, your best bet. I mean, I haven't came across one yet where I'm like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not going to cook this. I'm not going to eat this. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, wild pork, in my experience, is some pretty clean meat. And, oh, you yeah. know, I mean, of course, the outside of pig, it doesn't matter if it's you know, piglet or sow or big boar. I mean, it's going just it's going to smell. But we we've always tried to you know hose them off as much yeah. as we can. You know, before we start cleaning, just to 
minimize the dirt and mud that might, you know, might get on the meat. But, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with deer, especially bucks. I mean, you know, uh, when, when they, when, when that testosterone starts to peak with, with, with the bucks and going into pre-rut, I mean, they're going to start, you know, peeing on their back glands. I mean, there's a lot of different smells and whatnot that goes on with them. And, and that's, you know, I know some people can kind of get turned off by it, but at the same time, it's like all that meat that they buy in the grocery store, you know, if they were to be around those animals yeah. uh, when they were alive or first killed, they would probably, you know, experience the same type stuff. And that's kind of like that. That's there's such a disconnection there that people have, you know, they, you know, as far as knowing where their food comes from, but yeah, I, I've always liked pigs. I, I um, the only stuff I've ever done with them, I haven't shot one in a while. If anyone's looking, if anyone's listening and has some pigs on the property, I'd love to help them out with it. But, uh, you know, know, I've had sausage made, you know, I've never personally made sausage, but I've taken them, taken them places that, you know, process wild pigs and have sausage made. And, and then every now and then I I would, I would keep a whole shoulder or a a hind quarter, keep it whole if it's a good size and smoke it. You know, um, do it that way, you know, low and slow. But I, I haven't had one in a while. So maybe I'll, uh, maybe we'll get to that this year. You brought up earlier something that I'm glad you did because I would have forgotten about it. Ge- geese. Um, that's a hot topic. You know, people, yeah, actually, geese are very much like pigs um, in, in the sense that they're, that, that they're a nuisance. I mean, they're, they're yeah. all over and they can really cause some problems um, depending on what they're doing. I, I know where we are in South Carolina, there's a, there's a large uh, contingency of geese that are like, that are local and they stay around some ponds uh, year round and they'll every now and then they'll go into some ag fields, like some peanut fields and actually start and actually pull the peanut plants up out of the yeah. ground and eat the peanuts from the dirt. And that's, that's when the farmer usually calls us, but you know, geese, you can educate those pretty quickly. Um, when they're coming in some of these ag fields and you hunt them, you shoot them one time, they'll, they don't forget. But a lot of people talk about geese the same. Actually, I would, what do you think? I feel like geese get downplayed much more than pigs. I feel like people don't even really want them. A lot of people don't, don't, don't even want to yeah. try to cook a, a goose. No, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, most yeah, most people, when I bring up, you know, the word goose, they're just like, man, that's like this filthy, yeah. stinky. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't really know many people that eat it. And then the people I do get to try it, they're like, oh, man, it's one of the best steaks I've ever had. You know, if they're doing a, you know, a breast or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, so I've got two whole geese in my freezer right now that I plucked, skin on, nice size. Um, I need to, I need to do something with it. So, so I want to ask you, what do you think I should do? And the only other time that I've cooked geese, it was, it was back when they were in the peanuts and we took some out. That was, um, September one year and we fried some that Thanksgiving. Cause we usually, you know, we'll fry turkey and we had the fryer going. So, and it wasn't, I probably did. I obviously didn't do my homework on what to do or not do, but we fried them. It was just, they were tough. It wasn't, it wasn't, they, they weren't great. Um, what would you suggest as far as 
I've got a whole goose skin on. You think I ought to brine it and smoke it? Like a chicken? Would that work? I mean, the, my, my answer, I usually tell everybody they don't like it. <laughs> it's <laughs> is, is to break it down and honestly, like you can still keep the skin on, but if you want yeah. like, you know, that perfect cooked meat, uh, for, for me in my eyes, unless you just have the time and patience to do like a Peking style, you know, goose like you would a duck. Yeah. I mean, you, you just have to separate them for it to be, you know, really great. Um, Cause you're going to run into that. You're either going to have an overcooked, you know, breast and undercooked legs or, you know, vice versa, uh, which you can't really, you know, undercook your breast too much, but yeah, I would, I would break those down and, uh, you know, I've had good luck with, with brazen legs until they're, you know, almost tender and then throwing them in a low smoker just to, cause you've already got the meat kind of, kind of soft, softened. So you could throw it in like a low smoker and that meat will adhere more uh, smoke since it's already been braised. You can do that and then you can throw it uh, on a grill or on your broiler to get it crisp up or you can braise it and then actually cool it off and then fry it after that. And it's, it's pretty mm -hmm. phenomenal. Uh, it's a few extra steps, but it, it makes a lot yeah. of a difference. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. I need to, I need to do something. I want to, I want to cook both of them um, before waterfowl season this year, just to go ahead and get it, get them out of my freezer in case um, I see some more, but I also feel like it'd probably be a good, you know, fall dish to try, you know, whatever it might be for geese. Yeah. Um, yeah I, 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 I feel like I, I want to redo from that last uh attempt that i made and um the meat was fine i mean the meat was overcooked for sure it was yeah. tough but like it's not bad meat um no, no, definitely. It, i mean it's good it's good quality meat you just you know you just got I me mean, just like everything else i mean you, you just gotta you know you gotta uh you know handle the right way and, and then don't overthink it um while i'm thinking about it uh, do you notice, or do you, do you think there's any type of difference when we're talking about just like a, just a raw piece of venison, take the loin, you know, the back strap. Okay. Just a, just, just a fresh piece of meat, whether it's from a 90 pound doe or 190 pound buck, you know, with some age, you know, like a one-year-old deer or a five or six-year-old buck. Do you really think that there's a difference in the quality of meat? Let's say that all the variables are the same as far as like the, the region where they live, the rainfall, what they eat. I mean, um, for, for a backstrap, I would say it's going to be minimal. You're going to have some color differences. Yeah. Um, you might have a richer, deeper flavor in like an older animal, but as far as like it being tough for a backstrap, I would say no. But if you're cutting steaks out of a hind quarter, I would say if you shoot a deer that's within a year old versus anything that's over two years, I think you would notice a pretty good difference, you know. It would almost be like eating close to like veal, you know, compared to, to eating some beef. Cutting the steaks out of the hind quarter? Yeah. I, I eat yeah. a lot of hind quarter steaks the whole world. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, I a lot of times if, if I shoot a deer that's pretty small, I'll keep the hind quarter whole. Um, and and I've been breaking down the hind quarter and taking the eye of round, and I'll cook right. that like a tenderloin, make tacos that's out right. of it. Or yeah, it's 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 phenomenal. Um, yeah, I, I just ask that question because 
I've never noticed a difference. I mean, of course you have the size yeah. and, and there is a, there can be a color, especially like, I mean, if you shoot a yearling deer, you know, a fawn that, you know, is got some size to it in the fall or that one-year-old, it could be like a lighter pink, not quite as deep yeah. red, but I've never noticed um, a flavor quality. I, I've never noticed anything. The only thing you might is just how it's handled. Going back to what we talked yeah. about in the beginning, it, was it a gut shot? And again, like I, like what I mentioned, like if something's gut shot and you don't handle it right or even hose it off, and that's something I I see people do a lot as they they'll you know clean a deer. Because, you know, sometimes, I mean, I'm, you know, I clean a lot of deer at our place, but I don't clean them all. And sometimes people will skin it, you know, pull the hide off, gut it, and they want to toss it in the cooler, in the walk-in cooler. And it's like, you know, you, you got to hose it off and you got to, yeah, you got to get everything off the dirt, the hair. But, you know, I, from my experience, sometimes when you, if, 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 if the guts are blown up on the inside, you can hose it until you're blue in the face. But sometimes that smell, like when it yeah. gets in, if it's, if it, if it, that, if it, if it gets in on that tenderloin or the ribs or the flank, um, you know, pieces folding over of the ribs, it's hard to get out. I mean, it, it's like, it's, it's, it's like once it's in there, it's, I mean, unless you know the tactic, um, yeah. it's like once it seeps in, it's, it's hard to get out um that flavor yeah i, I haven't noticed uh, i just ever i know you hear all the time people talk about you know older bucks not tasting well um and i don't i don't see that really at all while we're on the topic of backstrap what what's your go-to as far as just you know cooking a backstrap and then maybe what some do's or don'ts where you feel like people just should not do or don't do uh, i mean for cooking wise for, for a steak preparation um my, my go-to for that is pretty much simple salt and pepper and if i want anything outside of that um, yeah. will kind of be added after if it's a seasoned butter or whatnot so trying to keep that simple and i always leave the meat out room temperature if i can for an hour um, just have it it's as dry as possible and, and that'll especially for a lean piece of meat that's going to let the meat cook uh more evenly mm -hmm. It'll be relaxed. So dry, dry as a bone, um, besides, you know, any cooking oil and let it sit out for, I would say at least 30 minutes, uh, to an hour. And you can leave it out longer if you wanted to. Uh, and I'll get that in kind of like a medium high, you know, pan and just sear it on both sides. Um, I mean, I don't really temp the inside, but if you were going to temp it, you know, probably pull it like 122, 125, somewhere like that. Uh, but that's about, straightforward technique for cooking a steak but outside of that man i cure almost all of my back straps raw and uh you just slice them up and eat them i'm sorry you, you said that you cure them all and then slice them thin yeah i, I post a lot of that around the holidays it's uh, it's a big hit on the on the website and on the blog and whatever uh, can, can can you talk through that real quick yes like a, as far as the process drop. Yeah, you just clean all the uh, the fat and silver skin off of it, and it's a it's a dry cure. I'd have to read my notes for as far as the percentages, but it's salt and sugar, and then you can put any aromatics in there, uh, garlic, rosemary, thyme, or whatnot, and just have that incorporated with that rub. And uh, you'll have the you have the uh, backstrap 
basically coat it in that salt mixture and you want to you want to turn it every day and all this i'd have to read my recipe but i think it takes maybe three days something like that hmm. and then once that's done uh you can pull it up pull all that off rinse all that off really good and then dry it and then it's going to be a cured piece of meat it'll be like a really dark kind of color on the outside and then mm-hmm. like a deep rich you know color on the inside and you just eat it you know, for holidays, I just slice it up with cheese crackers and, you know, a bunch of different kind of mustards or whatever. Uh, I've used smoked salt to cure it before with some flavor. I've cold smoked it and then cured it. Yeah. Um, it's super easy. I mean, it might sound complicated, but it's it's super, super easy. I, that sounds like right up my alley because I, I love um, backstrap and that sounds like that'd be a good uh, stand snack. You know, if you're oh, 100, yeah. if you got some long, if you're trying to log some long hours on the stand during the rut, you know, have a little baggie full of uh, full of that backstrap. What is your um, what's your take on eating raw venison? I mean, I eat raw heart, raw. I mean, I won't, <laughs> I, I, I won't eat raw tenderloin just because. I mean, yeah. if, I, if I know for a fact, you know, that it's been cleaned properly, I will. But it has to be mine. Like, I'm not going to eat raw tenderloin from some random <laughs> hunter um, yeah. or from the process. So that's just me. But, I mean, I eat raw hindquarters, raw backstraps, raw heart. I mean, it's I've never gotten sick. I think it's great. Do you um, – will you take it right out of the deer and eat it, you know, as is? Or do you like to freeze it first? I know a lot of people talk about freezing – game first before it does helps yeah um especially with pigs for like trichinosis and stuff but uh as, as far as venison i mean as long as i have it aged you know yeah. for at least three to five days i mean i'll yeah i don't have any problems eating it raw yeah that's one of my favorites i haven't done in a while um i tried a couple different um was it is carpaccio i think that's it yeah um, yeah that those recipes and then the tartare like a like you know like a traditional beef tartare recipe but yep. just use venison and i i feel like every i feel like everything else in those recipes were okay but i didn't really want the raw egg or the bread or the capers or whatever else they, they had in the recipe and so i got it where i just um you know got it room temperature actually a lot of times i would when i go to in I know there's better ways. I know I'm yeah. not doing it the best way, but when I go to f- slice a piece of venison real thin, like I'll do it sometimes if I'm, if I'm making like venison tacos and I don't, I don't want ground venison. If I want to use like an eye around or tenderloin or backstrap, I'll slice it with a flay knife somewhat still frozen, you know, yep. just so I can get it a lot. Cause for me, I, that's the best way that I can at least slice as thin as possible. Um, and I'll do the same type of thing. If I'm trying to eat it raw, you get it real thin because, you know, it's like if you're eating, if you're making tacos out of, you know, like a steak taco out of venison, you, you don't want the chunks, you know, you want it yeah. just to be able to melt in your mouth. And so I've done that. So I want to slice a backstrap real super thin and then, and then I have a little thing of pepper and a little thing of garlic salt. And really the raw venison, the garlic, I mean, I love garlic salt and that's to me, I mean, I, I'll eat that just as is. I love it. Um, I tried cold smoking one time and I, I didn't do enough research on it and I did not, it didn't do, I, I didn't do it right at all. Um, yeah. It's tough if you don't have a, a legit cold smoker. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was trying to, I, I had some kind of MacGyver 
type <laughs> con- concoction with the you know smoke being high. It was it did it didn't work, say the least. But is the idea of cold smoke just uh, you're just adding the flavor yep. of the smoke? That's that's just it, obviously, right? Yeah, you're adding the flavor and smoke, and then um, depending on what kind of preparation you're going for later, mm-hmm. all that extra smoke, you know, could theoretically, you know, add some some preservation to it, depending on what you're going to do to it after that. Gotcha. Yeah, I, um, I think I love it, and, and, and you know what I love about it, and um, it's just the fact that like what we talked about earlier, as far as the flavor and the taste of venison. It's, it's like, you know, that's what venison is. And you get a good piece of clean meat and uh, it's been aged well, it's been handled properly. You slice it thin and you have that meat and, you know, maybe some salt, pepper, or some, or like a little bit of spice, whatever it is, that's killer. I mean, that's what, yeah. to me, I mean, like, that's like the pinnacle of, you know, the venison red meat, as opposed to, and I joke about this, I haven't joked about it in a while when I would post up on social media about marinating. And I was guilty of it a long time ago when I was in high school and college. You know, there was this marinade, you probably remember, it was called Game Tame. Um, I'm not, I'd have to see a picture of it. I'm trying to think of the, uh, it was a brand that, it was in Kroger a lot in, in Publix and they had various, oh, it was made by Allegro. Yeah, so okay. I, yeah, I think Allegro was the marinade brand. And they had a lot of different marinades, but they had one called Game Tame. And it was for, you know, wild game. And it was kind of, um, it was almost like a Dale's marinade. Yes. Dale's, and people put steaks on, de- sorry, <laughs> easy for me to say. When people put Dale's on steaks. I usually, I hit the road, you know. Yeah. I hit the road and go to Wendy's yeah. or Crystal or somewhere. <laughs> Because, you know, Dale's, it, I'm not knocking anybody if anybody likes Dale's. I, I mean, you're a chef, so you probably don't use it. But it's just it's, it's just overwhelming, you know. It's just, yeah. and, and that's what I would joke about, about, you know, friends don't let friends marinate meat. And I know, I'm sorry, venison. I know there are some times where it works, but it's just people that would take like a, a tenderloin or a backstrap and just soak it in a baggie of game tame or Dale's or Worcestershire or whatever else for just for a day. And it's like, you know, you're just, you might as well be eating beef at that point because you're not tasting the venison. It's just, nah. <laughs> it's just killing the, um, it's just killing the flavor. So w- when do you, are there times where you will marinate venison? I mean, if, yeah, I mean, if I, if I do, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely whole mage just cause you can't, I mean, with the salt and sugar content and the and the store bought ones, I mean, you just never know yeah. what you're getting, you know. And the safe bet is if if you're doing something just like olive oil and garlic and herbs and maybe a splash of, of vinegar, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you forget about it, leave it in there for an extra day. Your meat's not ruined. It's not going to be overpowering. You know, it's just kind of complement, you know, to the meat. I mean, that's about to the extent. That I'll go with marinating, but I will do some seasonal marinades. Like I've got one on the site that's pretty killer. That's uh, it's like a I'll, I'll buy like a local apple cider and like a soy marinade. Yeah, but that that's as far as like deep flavors. That's about as deep as I'll go. But that's not you know anywhere near as overpowering as like some Dales or you know something. Like that. Yeah, because I mean, what you're talking about is just adding culinary flavors and you know texture yeah. to it, as opposed to a marinade. It's just gonna you know, overpower 
Um, I know I'm j- jumping around a lot, but this is this is a subject matter that I'm just I nerd out on. Going back when you were talking about cooking backstrap in a pan, what would what do you put in? What do you use? What do you put in the pan? Do you put olive oil, butter? Uh, I'll oil. use like a higher. Yeah, I'll use either um, like a lard or a high smoke point cooking oil or a clarified butter. Something that has a higher smoke point because I'm usually cooking those at a higher temp. Yeah. And I'll, I'll sear those off uh, in that. And then, um, man, to me, I, I don't, I, I, I do it. I think it does help is, you know, at the end you'll see chefs, you know, finishing off their steaks with like rosemary and garlic or whatever mm-hmm. in the pan. Uh, but if you're not savvy in doing that, you can end up burning all that stuff. But man, a cheap, easy trick to do is if you want that flavor is to literally <laughs> throw that stuff in a bowl with the butter in the microwave, have your garlic chopped up your herbs, throw it in the microwave for like two minutes and just let it steep. And then when your steak's done, just drizzle that butter over top <laughs> of your yeah. meat. Um, it, you, you're not smoking up your kitchen and, and you're getting a ton of flavor without having to mess with all that stuff. I mean, it's, yeah. that's usually what I do. So I, um, I haven't done a while, but a lot of times I will, um, I like to use a cast iron Yeah. when I'm doing, um, a backstrap or I, I, I get a lot of bone and chops made, you know, where people okay. with, where the, you know, every processor won't do it because they, they got to have that certain kind of saw, that bone saw or whatever it is. But basically, I mean, if, I mean, I know, you know, Larry, but if someone's listening, um, I, I know I posted on, on my IG, but it's, you know, it's like a, it's, it's like, it's like a bone in pork chop or, yeah. and, and then you can get a T-bone further down the spine where you got a little bit of the tenderloin and, uh, in the, in the back strap with the rib bone in the middle. Anyways, I would use butter. Um, yes. and, and I've used olive oil and butter, but h- how would I get butter? I'm just buying just like regular butter, you know? cooking regular cooking butter it should not be buying something different with a higher smoke point is that what you're saying okay i mean i i'm kind of a health health nut to a certain extent so like i try to keep it keep it healthy so i mean i don't really use like vegetable or canola oil which you do i have no (laughs) no problem with it so you could use that avocado oil is fine grapeseed oil is fine um clarified butter uh works uh any kind of animal fat if you have rendered uh lard beef tallow works um, any of that stuff. And, and a lot of the cooking oils now, it'll be on a small little corner of it. It'll, it'll have the smoke point. Hmm. Um, if you can find something that says like 400 or greater, um, that'll be your, would be your best bet. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I would not have thought about that, but that's one of the reasons why I do a lot of this outside. I've got a double jet burner set up that, you know, has legs. It's like a camping yep. type thing. It's got legs and it's perfect. Uh, I take a camping, but I will, a lot of times, pan fry you know cooking a cast iron a, a pork uh, a bone-in chop then a center yep. backstrap do it outside because because i like i like it to get hot you know um but but there's that there's that balance of that threshold of like you go too too hot yeah and then you're gonna catch the pan on fire or you're just gonna <laughs> yeah. get too, it's just gonna get too hot so yeah um but there but there is something especially if you get that's what I tell people on those bone and chops. It's amazing the amount of flavor that you get around those oh, bones. Yeah. 
And especially when you're, you know, having someone do it, if they don't do it already, have them, you know, keep the uh, bone marrow in when yep. they cut it. And it's just, it's amazing the amount of flavor. And it's just, it's just a different presentation, a different experience as opposed to just a regular backstrap, just something different. But you got to get, you got to get the chops hot. You know, you got to yeah. get it. That's where that flavor, in my opinion, comes from, is just getting the pan hot. Um, and the butter, I feel like the butter helps around the bone, kind of seeping into the, um, the marrow and also the early season fat. And I, I posted about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, we don't have a big window, but in South Carolina, you know, we can shoot, start hunting August 15th and some of the bucks, you know, we're going to shoot bucks for the first month and they'll have a lot of them will have a nice layer of fat, edible fat on the outside of the silver skin, like on the, on the uh, back strap. Okay. And, um, but it's like that fat burns off, um, in, in a couple, it's usually like October that fat's gone. Okay. Um, but that's some good edible, edible fat there. Um, all right, let's switch gears. Let's move right into turkeys, wild turkeys. I think everybody knows, everybody knows about the wild turkey breast and the, you know, tenders in it. And, I, you know, I, it seems like a lot, most people I talk, talk to or, or hear people talking about wild turkeys is, is to fry them, you know, cut them up in yeah. cubes and fry them. And I, I've actually, I've never done that. I've grilled them, but I like smoking them. I, I like to brine, um, the, brine the breast and then smoke them. And it, it doesn't take long, but man, is a killer. I love it. Um, the legs are something where I just... I've done some recipes. Um, I did see someone online. They, I think they had the legs like in a pressure cooker. Okay. And then they, I think that's kind of tenderized it. And then they made like tacos out of it. But what, what's your thoughts on the wild turkey? And then especially the legs, what, what, what's your kind of go-to as far as, you know, what people should be maybe doing or not doing with, with, with a turkey? Um, legs would be about the same thing, you know, with a, with a duck or, a goose i mean obviously it's not going to have the, the fat content but you know yeah. you want to braise them pressure cook them you know confit them uh just something along those lines to get them tender enough to shred or tender enough we could if you actually wanted to smoke it to to throw it on the smoker um i think i've got one of those recipes on my site but i mean it's as long as you can get the timing right where it's just tender uh mm -hmm. you can throw them you can throw them on the smoker. And if you have a, uh, like a really nice steamer, or if you have the patience to monitor one over the, uh, the stove, you can steam those things, but you know, you're going to be having to keep an eye on it. I mean, there's really no set time on a wild Turkey, but, um, you could try that route too. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some legs in my freezer. I, I need to, I need to, um, I need to get into, I, I, the last ones I did, I trimmed those up as much as I could. Uh, there's just so many like small bones in the legs and, yeah. and tendons. And um, I brined, I, I, I trimmed them up, brined them. And I think I smoked them and, you know, they were all right, but it just, it, it wasn't as good as I would have thought, or I was hoping yeah. for at least. Um, you like to, what do you like to do with, with the breast? Same with you, man. Like nine times out of 10, I'm going to, I'm going to smoke it. And then, yeah. I mean, yeah, I would say it's smoke probably number one, fry it or 
kind of butterfly and stuff it if I want to get crazy. But outside of those with the breast, man, I don't think I would venture out. And uh, To me, I'd be wasting them. Like if, if you told me I had to pick, you want some stir fry or anything like that, I'm just like, man, I'm going to smoke it like hands down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I, that's one of my favorite things about turkey hunting. I mean, one, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard for me. They're very challenging critters, but uh, the meat, I mean, it's to me, it's like, that's just some killer meat um wild turkey um i know you had mentioned hearts a minute ago or a while ago about eating raw i do want to talk about hearts yeah. let's talk let's, let's talk about venison hearts right now so you truly just eat it like room temperature raw yeah i'll uh i just posted a recipe for uh for poke like the mm -hmm. tuna poke bowls um but yeah you want to get it is trimmed uh you know as much as possible you know all the fat all the the veins like you know it should look like a deep red steak it shouldn't even resemble a heart by the time you get through cleaning it and then once you get it broken down you can kind of almost get it in like a quarter inch mm -hmm. to an eighth inch dice uh and then you can marinate and eat it like that you can chop it up even further and do a tartare but uh i mean it's 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 great but the, the key is just to get all the uh you know the access fat and whatnot off of it yeah i i've got i think I, I think two hearts in my freezer i'm just um i haven't done one yet um oh, like the buck i shot two weeks ago his heart was not intact but even if it was i don't uh, i'm a little weary about i don't know about keeping a heart i mean even even the heart was intact but this early in the season um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I know it's a lot of how, how it's handled. I give the hearts a lot to my dog, um, my lab. He, he's typically with me out there hunting and he loves being around the skinning shed. And I'm always giving him, you know, as we're skinning, you know, some, some, um, you know, some, some raw meat and the hearts there. I'll, um, you know, Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I didn't, I didn't give him the heart from that buck cause it was, it was, it was it wasn't looking right. It was blown up. And, okay. Um, yeah. The bullet went through it, and yeah, it, it there there was pieces of bone. It was just it wasn't wasn't good. But yeah, you know, people. I feel like people eating more and more hearts these days. If you're gonna cook one, I've heard people of grilling the heart and then making tacos out of it. Do you? I mean, if you weren't gonna eat it raw, what's your next go to? Would you grill it? Would you smoke it? Fry it? Uh, what would you do? Uh, uh, my, so probably one of my top three venison re recipes is a, a heart ham. Mm -hmm. I've got that on my site too. Uh, but that man, that thing's uh, phenomenal. You know, you brine it just like you would a, you know, a pig ham, and uh, it's, yeah. it's smoked at a pretty low temperature for a long time. Uh, it, it it takes a little tinkering with, but but you're still pulling it off at like one thirty, one twenty five, like you're not cooking it all the way. Yeah. And when you slice that thing open, man, it's just like a beautiful red. And it, if you chopped that up and gave it to somebody, they would never know what it is. And it actually, I don't know if it's a smoking process or what, but you can actually cube those up after it's smoked whole mm -hmm. and actually crisp those up in a pan and they'll get crunchy. And it'll taste like one of the best pieces of crispy ham you've ever had in your life. And it doesn't really get uh, tough at all. Hmm. I need to try that. Yeah, I, that's on my short to-do list is to try the heart um 
So I need to try that. Have you have you cooked any uh, non deer hearts like turkey? You know, small birds or anything. Every now and then you come across someone that'll mention, but I, it, I usually don't. I don't. I don't see much about that. Yeah, they're, they're so small. I mean, I've eaten them in the past and they're fine. But um, I, with, I'm I'm about the same way with you with the deer. But I'll I'll just since it's so small, I've got a little dog. I'll cook it up really fast and just yeah. throw it to him, and he devours it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And just, just as a side note, before I forget, um, I feel like my, I'm, I'm on my second lab and I feel like my first lab was just, he, he, he was just, just a, a stone cold tracker when it came to, you know, tracking blood trails and deer. And I feel like he really started to pick up his game and get fine tuned when we finished our skinning shed. And then, you know, he was around a lot more deer. You know, he was around a lot more blood, a lot more deer. He would get excited around the skinning shed and I'd cut some raw meat off, give him a heart. And, and then he's making that connection of, yep. you know, the smells of everything with the deer. And I, I think that absolutely helped in this blood trailing um, of deer. Um, let's switch gears and talk about some more wild birds. Um, dove season just opened up pretty much most of the Southeast last weekend, Labor Day weekend. Um, and then, uh, you know, we got quail will be coming up pretty soon this fall. Um, you know, I know a lot of people, as far as dove, they'll just wrap it in bacon, maybe make poppers out of it. And then quail, you know, I don't know quail really, I don't, you don't see it get talked much, or people showcasing as much cooking-wise as, as they do dove. Um, I know a lot of people fry quail. What I tell you, my wife cooks quail a lot, and she'll just kind of keep it simple. It's really good, and just, you know, um, broil it in the oven or bake it at high temperature and just put, you know, olive oil, salt, and pepper. And just kind of get it crispy and not ever do. And it's just, it's good. It's just, you know, it's, I, I haven't really ventured off too much with uh, dove and quail. Um, and, you know, yeah, quail, I mean, I've kept it really simple. I was, even though I've been hunting my whole life, I wasn't really into it too much until I worked, uh, I worked at Peninsula Grill uh, mm -hmm. in Charleston downtown. And uh, Bob Carter was doing a, uh, I think a shot for a cookbook or something. I happened to be in the kitchen and he was, grilling up quail for a recipe and i just saw him just you know simply i think he brined it and grilled it and then that's just how i've i've done it. i've fried them they turn out really good fry but yeah it's simple man has been the best in my opinion to simply grill or fried yeah yeah it's it's yeah i like quail is just don't overthink it you know just yeah. don't overthink it but also just don't overcook it i was in texas a couple of years ago and um it had some fried quail that were just killer it, it was a chef doing it and um it uh he he used um a pancake batter which i guess is something similar to like what chick-fil-a does where it's like a sweet kind of batter okay um and it, it did it did it did taste like a chick-fil-a type batter on the chicken breast and we asked him he said it's, it's just a pancake batter huh. and um and it made all the sense of the world. And I've told people that they're like, yeah, Mark, you, you know, like you didn't know that's what Chick-fil-A kind of, that's what they do. Like I, I had no clue, but I've done that um, on birds. It's good. Now, and, and every now and then I'll do that with um, um, a cube steak, a venison cube steak. Oh, yeah. um, you know, just I'll 
do like a wet and dry batter. And then the dry batter, I'll just use like, like a pancake mix, just regular pancake. And I'll put some salt and pepper in it. And it kind of gives it like a sweet kind of flavor to it. But then you have the salt and pepper or the garlic salt. It's just a good kind of, um, it's just something different. That's all. Huh. Yeah. I've never tried it. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of, it gives you that, that taste like a Chick-fil-A. That's something that huh. you like. Um, ribs. We'll start with venison ribs first. What you, I'm sure you've got, I, I'm sure you've got a recipe on venison ribs. I, I've, I smoked one. I smoked a rack of ribs one time. It, it, it turned out better than what I thought. It, it, really? it really, I'd have to look back and see how I did it. I know I posted on Instagram, it was a couple of years ago, um, but it really was better than what I would, would have thought. There, you know, obviously there wasn't a whole lot of meat on it, but it was something different. And it was pretty good. Um, I haven't done any since then, but I haven't really, um, yeah, I haven't really saved any. Um, I've got a processor now that he fillets all the meat off the ribs and he saves everything. So it's kind of, I, you know, I, I've saved some ribs before in the freezer and then it's never got to them and they take up so much yeah. space. And have you fooled much with ribs, venison ribs? Yeah, I mean, they, they are good. There's just not a lot of meat. Um, yeah. I would say if you want a big, big reward for your work, I mean, I would just, you know, take the, uh, take the meat off of them but they are good um but one technique i've i uh, actually saw not too long ago and it makes sense because i usually will take the the flank and then the rib meat and just kind of flay that off or one big side mm -hmm. and use that to roll up and braise uh, but i saw a butcher on there uh, get inside of the rib cage and then make slits on the back of the ribs and the rib meat and the flank and everything will come off in one sheet so the ribs would be you know picked clean and huh. you can just have one big meat sheet uh so i think i'm probably gonna start doing that um probably from now on in all honesty just to get more meat on the on the the rolls the roulades that i do with the, with the flanks yeah and red meat yeah that sounds in interesting I, I i would have to see that I, I can't quite visualize how he would do that yeah, he um, makes me look like a uh complete amateur <laughs> i mean he does it in like literally he does the whole rib cage in probably 15 seconds wow yeah that that um <laughs> Yeah, I need to try that. I, I did see there was an episode of Meat Eater. Remember in the last season they were in Texas and they did a rib dish with the with flank meat um, yep. that looked really good. I haven't saved in, in, any ribs in a while. Just, you know, a whole section of ribs for that. I should. Pork ribs, I mean, I, I would, you know, of course you can have a little bit more meat on them than, 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 um, venison have you done much with them or would, would be pretty much the same type thing you're just dealing with pork and a little bit more meat yeah yeah um the, the pork you can get away uh with cooking like traditional pork mm -hmm. for for me um it's another step but i've always with my venison ribs i've always braised those first just to get them super tender and then th throwing them on the grill uh but with the with the pig i mean you don't you don't need to do that extra step at all yeah um, when it comes to harvesting meat, you know, going out and killing a deer, a pig, whatever it is, or if maybe you have a friend that, uh, you know, has some wild game that, you know, they're offering, offering to you, do you, do you see, have you noticed, um, a difference in the time of seasoning? Like if you were to go out right now, I know you're in South Carolina, 
Um, if you were to kill a deer right now, you know, September or early September, or as opposed to December or pigs. Um, and of course not, you wouldn't really notice that in turkeys, but do you think, or have you noticed a difference in quality of meat or any, just anything that makes a difference, especially I would imagine what stands out to me would probably be the deer after they go through the rut. I mean, you know, bucks are going to yeah. lose, you know, upwards of 25% of the weight. And then, you know, a lot, and also, you know, does people don't really talk about, people talk about bucks all the time after rut, you know, they're run down, yeah. but does, you know, they're run down too, because not only are they going through their, their you know, heat cycle, but they're go you know, they're, they're tr trying to get bred, but then they're dealing with all the other bucks, like the, especially the young bucks that don't really quite know and they're bugging them and chasing them well before they're receptive. And then on top of that, if you're, if it, they're the matriarch, matriarch doe, they're running a doe group. I mean, they've got, yeah. Other, other does that they're in charge of and fawns and maybe a spike or two they haven't bumped out of the group yet so they've got all that going on the stress and you know they're they're probably not eating and drinking as they're normal um i haven't noticed anything the difference in quality of meat other than the size yeah. of the box you know a little bit more run down and the frames look a little smaller or not quite as filled out but do you see any kind of change in the quality of meat or anything like that no i mean i haven't i mean if basically the size i mean if, if you lived in a uh, an area where they're hitting acorns like super super hard i think that could have a difference and obviously if you live in an ag country where they're just pounding corn i mean i would say that's going to be your main difference right there if you're going to get something you know out here that's living in the jungles <laughs> right i'm just yeah. browsing on whatever you know i feel like they're there's a flavor profile difference in that, but as far as time of year in general for like weather, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I've never bear hunted, uh, but I know people talk about that with like uh, black bear, you know, yeah. as opposed to where they eat, you know, or they, you know, like Northern Georgia, Northern South Carolina, maybe where they're eating more, not so much wild stuff, but if they're truly out in the wild, somewhere out west or like alaska or wherever they may eat more blueberries or you know especially if, if the bears eat more fish they have a different type of smell but that's definitely not my experience have you done much with tongues do you have a preference on tongue venison tongue any kind of wild game tongue i've yet to try anything i'd i'll look at certain things when it gets posted but i just i you know i i, I never get to it because we save we save all yeah. the jawbones at the deer oh, and so yeah. I'm, I'm extracting the jawbone the last thing i'm thinking about after i get the jawbone <laughs> yeah. out is to take that tongue out too tongue. you know but i know people talk isn't it a very long process of like getting a, a deer tongue to where you can eat it like different stages of cooking I, or am i wrong you just need to, to slow cook it or braise it you can slow cook it in a crock pot or braise it yeah. in the oven um yeah, you basically want it where it's you can put a fork into it and it's just mm -hmm. gonna slide out easy and you just pull out that outer kind of membrane. And then after that, um, I mean, to me, the easiest thing to get people to, to try is tacos. I mean, you just crisp those up and they get really crispy and tender. Yeah, yeah. Those are phenomenal. I would say the top two are, are doing that or corned uh, tongue. People will corn it, uh, mm. braise it, and then smoke it. 
but I, I would probably only save that for like an elk or a moose tongue because you know white-tailed deer's tongues aren't that big yeah 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 I, I, that's all my to-do list for sure uh predators do you have you tried any type of predators out there to eat I've, <laughs> just bear i mean i've I've contemplated on uh trying bobcat uh yeah i don't think i'll try cody i mean it's i mean i would try it just to see what it's all about but i'm not gonna you know pinpoint out a coyote because i want to eat it you know i'll, I'll do management right. and shoot them but but bears hands down i'm going on a bear hunt uh to british columbia in april nice, nice. uh so yeah i'm looking forward to that yeah you know i, I would I, i've never had bear um, I really want to try some. And, and, you know, if I was at someone's place and they had cooked some bobcat or a coyote or a mountain lion, I, I would try it. I would for sure try yeah. it. But I, if I saw one of those critters, I don't think I would shoot it with the intention of I'm going to clean it and cook it. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I thought about it one time and, and, and then reality sets in as far as everything that goes into it. And I just, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. There's, there's too many deer out there yeah. uh, to, you know, eat first, I would say. Um, I know you, you've got a very extensive background in, uh, in the culinary world and, and cooking at some very nice restaurants. Did y'all serve any uh, farm-raised venison? Uh, no. And if uh, not, only- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, uh, definitely not farm raised. I worked at uh, circa 1886, mm-hmm. and uh, the head chef there, uh, Mark Collins, I believe, is from Texas, and uh, he used to get in uh, wild boar and, and antelope uh, oh, from nice. from a uh, Broken Arrow Ranch, which which is a true wild you know true wild game. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of the only places that I know of, unless there's other small operations in Texas you can get wild game. But yeah, we serve that uh, quite a bit. Even for his breakfast service, service he served wild boar sausage for breakfast. He refused to serve <laughs> domestic pigs. <laughs> nice. Reason why I ask is I, I, uh, I mean, I've had it in restaurants, but do you? Reason why I ask is, is that if you had pre- pre- prepared, you oh, know, no. farm raised, and if you really could tell a difference. I mean, I know there's a difference. Don't get me wrong, but if there's, yeah. I would just, you know, there's any kind of noticeable differences. Um, yeah, yeah, I've seen it on menus out west, and I've just never, never bought yeah. it. I, you know, you'll see a lot uh, restaurants like around Savannah. I'm sure Charleston has it too. Where not every restaurant, but some, but some of the some restaurants will have like a wild game dish that they might rotate um, every month or so. Maybe yeah. it's venison or uh, antelope, or you know. But typically, the venison I see in restaurants locally will probably be from like New Zealand. It might okay. be, yeah. um, might be a red deer, might be red stag or elk, but probably a lot of times are from New Zealand, um, down there. I know that you mentioned earlier, as far as, you know, uh, you know, before you, you know, cook some meat that you'll let it sit out at least 30 minutes, but ideally an hour to get room temperature, um, thawing, I, I, I assume the best way is to let it thaw out naturally. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. What is the best way of thawing on a piece of meat to leave it on the counter, or can you put it in the fridge for a couple of days and kind of let thaw it that way? Does that even make a difference? Um, I, ideal would be the refrigerator, but uh, okay. nine times out of ten, you know, I forget, <laughs> so I just put it in a yep. large bowl in the sink and run cold water over it for like an hour, 
and uh, you know, most sides meats that you have in your freezer are going to thaw out, you know, yeah. pretty close with them, but that's general. Uh, yeah. And then, and then, and then, and then refreezing, let's say, let's say you don't do the water treatment, you put in the counter for a little bit, or you put in the fridge and you realize you're going out of town all of a sudden or whatever, and you want to put it back in the freezer. Is that really like a no-no as far as refreezing it? And I think people are worried about it. Maybe it more moisture being pulled out. I hear no, it come you, up every now and then. Um, as far the as problem that I ran into. In. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't affect it all, but the problem you run into is let's say you had it in your refrigerator for three days and you're like, Oh, I'm going out of town. You put it back. You don't write down how long it was out of the refrigerator. You pull it out again and then you leave it in your refrigerator for five days. Then you start messing with the timeline of how um, that's, that's really where you got to watch yourself is, you know, you don't really know, you know, how long it's not been frozen. If you start, you know, teetering around with that. Um, but, but as far as it just refreezing it, no, I mean, it's as long as you're within a timeline, it's still fresh. I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're good unless you thawed it out and did have a bunch of moisture trapped in whatever you have it in and then yep. refroze it. I mean, there's, there's a chance with that, but I haven't seen it with me. What do you, um, most of your meat wild game, do you, um, process it, butcher it up, wrap it yourself before it goes in the freezer? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I process everything, uh, here at the house. So what do you, I mean, I have my method, but I would, I know your method is going to be a little more um, professional. What's your method as far as wrapping up venison? Why well, going, going into, at, in, into a freezer for a long period well, of time? C- coming out of restaurants, I was you know stuck on the whole vacuum sealer, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it does work, you know. If I'm doing, uh, I don't, know, I guess it's in my head, but I like doing birds in a vacuum sealer or seafood vacuum sealer. But as far as venison, um, I'm usually just doing a double wrap of uh, some high quality freezer paper. I used to do plastic wrap plus a single wrap of butcher paper. But to me, it's, you probably spend a little bit more money in butcher paper. But if you, if you do a double wrap of that freezer paper and just tape it up to me, I mean, my meat lasts, you know, over a year without yeah. noticing any signs of freezer burn on it going that way. Yeah, we. I've been using uh, that like um, cling wrap. Yeah, and doing cling wrap and doing a, a couple layers of that, and then just freezer paper. And it, yeah. um, and it, I mean, it it holds up pretty well. And you know, if you wrap something up the right way, it can last a couple of years. I mean, you know, of course, you don't want you, that's not this shouldn't be your goal, but it happens. Um, yeah. Especially, I, I've got two chest freezers, and I am very much interested in getting a um a stand-up freezer my yeah. father has one and it's just i mean you you open it up and everything's right there yeah you get a chest freezer and you'll organize it once a year and then right after you organize it you're going to dig for something and it's just yeah. it's, <laughs> it's it's chaos it's not even organized i did i remember when um when 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 covid first landed and in in the pandemic started and, you know, people were talking to people, you know, no one knew, but like the, you know, grocery stores and the meat shortage and everything. And people worried about that kind of stuff. Um, I went out my freezer and I pulled everything out and I made a list, you know, of like how many bun chops, how many packs of ground. I mean, a list of everything. My plan was 
when I take something out, I was going to cross it off. So I, okay. so I kept a log as what's really in that at last, you know, yeah. it just, I, I, I made the list, but I wasn't diligent enough to, um, you know, keep up with it. But um, it's definitely, it's a good problem to have for sure. So we got, we're early fall. Can we talk? Let's, let's switch gears. Talk about, about hunting for a little bit. What do you have planned um, this upcoming fall for hunt, hunt, hunts wise? Uh, doing a lot of public land around my neck of the woods, my property, uh, heading out the end of the month to go to Maryland to do seek a deer for five or six days. Uh, nice. yeah, besides that, I mean, I've got, uh, well, that won't be to the winter. I've got a local lottery hunt in South Carolina that I'm doing out on the marsh, which I, I look forward to doing at least every, every year, every other year. That'd be fun. I've never had Sika meat before. Is it very much, is it similar to like white tails and more like axis deer or? This will be my first, yeah. my first go at it. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard just cause they're small size that they're a little more tender, but I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you the honest truth on that one. Yeah. I, I've never even seen one in person. Um, I, I love axis meat. I mean, I, to me, axis meat is definitely finer than white tail venison. It's kind of a little bit, it's somewhere between whitetail and, and elk. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't had Sega. That'd be a lot of fun um, to do that. Um, and so what about uh, waterfowl hunting, anything like that? I, I know you said you, you don't really, you don't do much of it, right? Uh, just geese mainly. I mean, if, yeah. if I had a buddy or something that was into, into ducks, I'd 100% go out. But man, I've just got so much going on. I feel like at 40 years old, I don't know how much it's going to take for me to dive in to duck hunting because I know that's, I look at all these duck hunters, man, they're like fly fishermen, they're hardcore. And oh, I feel like they have so much knowledge. And I just, I don't know anything about duck hunting at all. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Those guys, they don't know anything either. They don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I kid. But yeah, it, it is another hobby. And yeah. the truth is you don't really need much. I mean, we're where we are in South Carolina. I mean, ah, you're, so you probably get, you probably see more duck. I mean, you probably get some more ducks coming down the Atlantic flyway. Um, we're kind of in the middle. We're, so we're not really getting ducks off the Atlantic. We'll get some strays like coming off the Savannah river, which is not really a flyway, but some ducks do go up and down it. We mostly had just have, you know, local wood ducks, which, okay. which are good to hunt. I do it, you know, when it makes sense. I prefer, you know, deer hunting, um, much more into that. But um, I think really just for ducks, you just need some decoys. And that's yeah. really about it. And, um, you know, if you do it right, you can absolutely decoy some wood ducks in or really anything else. It's fun to do, but um, I'm, I'm not as, as intense. I'd, I'd rather... I'd rather shoot a, you know, shoot a doe and get some meat on the ground that way. Um, so what do you have going on? Um, let's talk a little about wild game gourmet and what you have going on. I, I saw that you got some hats coming, coming online. Got a new design. Is that right? Yeah, I've, I've got the logo kind of finalized. I'm just trying to, you know, do the nitpicky work on it. And then I've got a, uh, a white tail design now and I want to come out with a, a wild boar design and nice. Try to try to get that all up in uh and post it and, and whatnot here soon. Yeah, that'd be great. And you were talking uh, earlier before we started rolling the tape here uh, about an outdoor cooking class. Can you t- tell us a little bit about that and where people can find that? 
Yeah, it's uh, called Outdoor Class, and it's uh, founded uh, through Go Hunt. Um, so it's basically going to be a, a online e-learning, kind of like a master class setup. So they'll have different instructors. Uh, they'll have, you know, like a mule deer expert on there, uh, navigation expert, a uh, survival gear expert, um, uh, wild game. Uh, I think there's Randy Newberg, Remy Warren, Corey Jacobson, uh, Hank Shaw will be on there doing culinary. I'll be on there and, you know, just quite, quite a few others. And they're slowly releasing instructors as the time goes on. And it's a, uh, it's a subscription base. Um, mm-hmm. I think the price, if it hasn't changed, is around a hundred bucks a year, but you get all those courses included in that. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. W- when will that be out? Do you know? So it, it's, it's out now. They okay. just, um, I think there's only one culinary, uh, instructor out. I think her name's Jamie Teagan. Um, okay. Remy Warren's out, Randy Newberg's out, and a couple other folks. That's awesome. Yeah, I, that's phenomenal. I mean, I that's quite the list of uh, people that you're with doing that, um, doing those classes. Some pretty pretty big names there. Um, well, I would uh, implore everyone to check out Larry White. Where where can people find you, Larry? Um, I'm mainly active on Instagram. Uh, Facebook, I just have it linked. I don't really, I'm not really, you know, on there that much, but uh, Wild Game Gourmet on Instagram and uh, my website, you can hit me up on there or find any recipes, articles. That's uh, thewildgamegourmet.com. Yeah, I would, I would challenge everyone to follow Larry, go to his website, check it out because it's uh, highly professional. Do you take those photos yourself? I mean, they're yes. really good. Because, um, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, that, you know, uh, put like culinary stuff on social media. Doesn't matter what it is, you know, like the cooking out of a microwave, 15 minute meals or whatever. But the presentation of your content is like high level professional. I mean, every photo that you post on Instagram looks like it's high quality for like a cookbook. I mean, it's. Yeah, I use. I'll, I'll record some videos on my cell phone, but mm-hmm. uh, I started off with like a kit camera from mine and my wife's wedding, and I finally upgraded to a professional camera about a year ago. So I've got the lighting, the you know, the stands, and and, and all that stuff. So I've got the setup, and it it, it makes it easier because with the cheaper camera, I feel like it takes a lot more work to get the photos to look right. Yeah. Um, even with a professional camera, it still takes a lot of time. But uh, but yeah, man, I've got it set up to where I like it now, and it's you know, it's, it's not that hard. So I try to use that thing anytime I can. I can imagine. So when you, okay, I have to ask, you know, when you, when you prepare the dish, um, you're taking a photo of it. Um, is it, uh, are you, are you having to, uh, what am I trying to say here? Um, like, are you making the dish just for the photo or are you having, I mean, is it like, are you, are you like making that dish for your family and you're just like pulling one aside real quick and taking a shot of it? Or is this something you do kind of, are you like testing out these recipes? Uh, you know, a little like, bit, a little bit of everything. I mean, yeah. I, um, if I'm testing something out, I usually be like one or two plates. And my, my wife, she only eats fish and wild games. So she'll eat whatever I make. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of it is planned out or recipe planning. I mean, a lot, 
uh, which as you know, you're probably busier than I am, but I mean, it's a lot of planning. I, I mean, I've got notepads stacked up full of ideas and you know, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm constantly planning. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, if anyone's wanting to try something different, I mean, I, I mean, I'll get caught up in that, in that rut and I don't see how in the world you could Larry, cause you've got all kinds of ideas and recipes, but sometimes you get caught up and that's, this is another reason why I want to have Larry on. I mean, one, cause I nerd out on venison, a wild game. Um, and also because venison is one of the focal points of Southeast whitetail and I've yet to have uh, you know, like anybody that can cook on the podcast yet, but sometimes and I'm very guilty of it. You get caught up in the same dishes over and over. You know, you got your tacos that you do, maybe a backstrap, keep steak. It's the same stuff over and over and over and over. And then you try to think about, you know, what can you do? And, and you know, sometimes you can just take a regular recipe like, you know, like spaghetti or a cheesesteak or something. And all you got to do is just replace one meat, one store-bought meat with wild game. And you don't really need to change much. Um, but then other times you just want something different. And that's why I keep, you know, saying, you know, check out Larry's Instagram, check out his website. I mean, there's, you're constantly posting stuff and it's just like one hit after another that, that, that you know, I would love to try. And, and we're going to start to try some um, this, uh, this fall. Um, as soon as I can get to, I, I'm, I'm now trying to get, I'm trying now kind of getting in a better groove because a lot of my summer, you know, I've got my oldest daughter is, 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 is home during the summer. You know, she didn't have school kind of juggling that. And then I do a lot of work at a farm over the summer, kind of gearing up toward, towards, so summers are very busy. I don't cook as much, but, but your recipes are just, just look killer and they're not crazy funky ones. Every now and then, you know, you'll come across someone that it's like they try to come up with the craziest recipe yeah. you know, where they're just mixing all kinds of stuff. It doesn't really seem like it'd be good because they're just, maybe it's more shock value or attention, but yours is just, just looks like good, just good classic, you know, well-prepared dishes. Um, but it's not stuff that's common knowledge. It's not stuff that people really probably grew up cooking, but you know, it's stuff they probably should. Um, well, let's wrap this up, Larry. I'm going to do it, wrap up with three questions I ask everybody. Um, there's no right or wrong answers. Um, maybe some better ones out there, but we don't, we, we don't judge. Uh, the first one is, can, can you give a recommendation? I used to say a book, but really just any kind of media recommendation, a podcast, a book, um, anything kind of out hunting related, wild game related that you can um, suggest people consume that, you know, you like and would suggest people check out. I would say hunting in general. Uh, I really like Remy Warren's mm -hmm. podcast. Uh, he just changed it cause it was cutting the distance. And I think, uh, Jason Phelps is doing that now. Yeah. I think, I think it's live wild. Maybe he changed. I can't remember the name he changed, but yeah, it's his is great. It's not a lot of whitetail content, but, uh, it's, he, he's just such a legit guy and you know, he doesn't BS and I feel like, you know, you're learning a wealth of knowledge from him and he does a lot of Q and A's and, uh, he's just straightforward, man. And to the point, you just know, he's not full of crap. I mean, sorry to be so blunt, but that's what I like. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like I learned a lot from him. Yeah. Remy seems like a really good dude. And, um, yeah. 
And those, the, that's the kind of content that I like. Just someone that's real, that you don't really get a, that you don't get the feel that they're trying to push a product or a brand yeah. or a camo pattern or this scent spray or some kind of gimmick. You know, they're just real people and, and they're in it for the right reason. You know, they're in it, yeah. they're passionate about it. Um, that's a good one. All right. This might be a loaded question. Um, what is your favorite or just your go-to wild game dish? Something that, uh, you know, favorite might be a little too much to try to pinpoint, but it's something that you just, if you, maybe if you were on, maybe if you were out of town for a week or two on, on vacation and you were eating, you know, you were eating out on vacation for a week or so, you're coming home, you're ready to cook yourself, you want to cook wild game, what's something that you're just, you're looking forward to and then you just love to cook, love to eat? Man, probably uh, I love Latin American food. It's probably going to be a slow cooked, either a neck or a shoulder or a shank, just, just some kind of Latin American kind of homey, either it's like a barbacoa mm -hmm. or uh, conchonita pibil, which you can do that with wild pork or or venison but just something slow cooked in latin american is like my my comfort food i used to have a latin american food truck if that tells you anything so that's like my <laughs> my go-to so on the neck because i've never i saved the neck i saved the neck meat but i've never saved the whole neck when you save the whole neck are you are you keeping the spine in or are you taking this spine out? I've done both, but here lately I've just started uh -huh. deboning it, and okay. uh, and I'll, I'll just roll it up and tie it with butcher's twine just to kind of keep it more compact, mm -hmm. uh, and then and then just braise it, braise it, smoke it, or and I've turned I've turned it into pastrami. I mean, I've done all kinds of stuff with it. So when you slow cook it, it doesn't have to be submerged completely in a liquid. Like I know a lot of times when I maybe give someone like a bottom round or top round from the hind quarter if they're going to slow cook it like in a crock pot, I, I will mention that you probably want to keep it under liquid, like submerged in liquid so it doesn't dry out on them. Yeah. You'd have to be on top of it and, you know, kind of, kind of flip it uh, to keep it a little bit more moist with it, with a neck, you could get away yeah. with, you know, covering it about three quarters, like you would uh, braising. Uh, and depending on what all you have in there, I mean, if you have a lot of onions, it's going to put off moisture and, and whatnot that your volume, uh, you know, can rise. And actually, if you start yeah. all three quarters, it'll be above it by the time uh, you're done. Yeah, that sounds, um, and so the Latin American flair, besides various spices, is there anything you put in there, like as far as liquid, or is it just really just kind of spice based? Uh, I mean, it just really depends on what it is. But I mean, if, if you want something that doesn't take a lot of effort, you want, you know, a little bit more punch to your food is if you can go uh, and, into your Latin American section, your grocery or Latin American market, just find whole chilies mm -hmm. like Guajillo, Persia chilies or any of that stuff. I mean, there are, they're dried. You can either pull those, take the seeds out, throw them in the crock pot, or you can toast them up in a, in a dry pan and then throw them in there. Just yeah. that alone is going to make you a, like a rich kind of like chili broth. And at the end you can puree those chilies uh, in your blender or whatever into a sauce and it's, huh. and just re-season it at the end. And it's, it's phenomenal. 
I need to try. I, I need to try some of that. Cause I, I, um, I've been thinking about this for a while, but I'm assuming that's something you could do and it, it would be pretty good to like, you know, uh, divide it up in like meals and freeze it maybe, or, oh, yeah. or put it in the fridge. I, that's something that I, I got to start doing more of here at the house. Um, as far as doing stuff like that, preparing dishes, and then for the sole purpose of you're going to freeze it or you're going to eat it throughout the week, as opposed to, um, you know, because that, you know, that way you can eat that kind of stuff for lunch or if yeah. you hurry for dinner, you don't have to, because that, that's the thing. It's like, I, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if you have kids, but I had a lot more time before I had two yeah. kids. Oh, yeah. So it just kind of gets into like, you know, you come home from work and you're thinking about stuff in the freezer and that's something I definitely need to um, explore. And I, I mean, I love Latin American uh, flavors, spices, all that stuff. It, it, it's um, that's some good stuff. All right, last question. It's about con- but it's about conservation, specifically in the southeast. That's where we are. That's where the podcast is focused. Um, what if, what do you see or what do you think? Um, you know, is a concert a, a real conservation issue in the southeast that maybe it maybe should be on people's radar, or you know whether they own land, hunt public land, whatever it is that um, that you know you see, that you know you've noticed um, anything across the board as far as wild game, any kind of wild game is there anything that you you notice you, you pay attention to or you think that should be on someone's radar um, that maybe it's not. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not the, the best and, and well, ver, you know, versed in, in deer management, but I would say, I mean, I see a lot of younger bucks killed, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. which I don't see anything wrong with that. But, you know, if, if there's one thing that I saw that I would see was a flag, I see a lot of that. And uh, I don't really have an issue with it. You know, if it's public land, I mean, where I live at, it's yeah. a jungle. And if you see a buck out there on public land, I mean, that's a gift. <laughs> but if you're, <laughs> But if you're hunting over a corn pile and, you know, yeah. you're going to shoot out a, a one-year-old buck to me, that's, you already, you already, you know, have an upper hand on them. You know, why, why shoot a year-old buck? I mean, that's, I guess what I see. But. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it was legal. I'm fine with it, but it, uh, I don't know. There, there's a lot that goes into it and, you know, yeah. people, sometimes complain about not seeing bigger bucks, but they shoot younger ones. I tell you one of the big pet peeves for me is when people shoot a buck and maybe they, you know, know what they were shooting. You know, there was no quote ground shrinkage. They knew it was a young buck and they shot it or they shoot something at dark. You know, they shoot something where they can't quite tell exactly what it is as far as the antlers. Yeah. And there's some quote ground shrinkage, but anyways, long story short, the deer's dead. Um, it's in the back of the pickup. And then they're talking and then they're uh, disrespecting it, saying, oh, he's not yeah. the biggest. You know, he's not the buck I was after or he wasn't, wasn't as old as I thought. And it's like, you know, I get that, you know, that might happen, but the deer didn't make the mistake. Like if yeah. you're, if the hunter is saying that he made a mistake, the deer didn't make the mistake, the hunter did. And the deer's dead. If it's legal, just, you know, own it 
And don't yeah. disrespect. I mean, that is just something that is, it just grind. I, I have to bite my tongue. I don't, I don't talk about that. I, I don't reply stuff like that on social media, like when people yeah. say that kind of stuff and people talk about, you know, oh, this is a management buck because he was a very small looking two year old. And it's like, you know, yeah, no one knows what that buck was going to look like at three or four. And, and why, you know, why is some people disrespect um, wild game, especially like when the, you see a lot with, with like, with like duck hunters, like, like waterfowl. Yeah. Um, and turkeys too. People, it's like they'll, you know, they'll like play around with like the dead ducks, you know, they'll put it, the beaks in their mouth and all that kind of crap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't understand that. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, the, the one, the one lay, laying beside, laying beside of the deer like looking up at the camera like to me that was the one that drives me yeah. bonkers <laughs> yeah but i mean as far as conservation i'd say you know what you're doing and what you promote and what you share through your social media and your website i mean that just does wonders for conservation because here we have i mean we are loaded with renewable resource and wild game venison everything we talked about geese turkey quail and a lot of people consume it, a lot of people hunt and consume it, but there's a lot of people out there that, you know, have been trending toward, I mean, our society has been trending towards healthier foods and a healthier yeah. lifestyle. And we saw a big pickup during COVID of people want interested in hunting. And I, I've got a lot of people in my contacts that I give venison to and wild game uh, throughout the year they don't hunt, they don't want to hunt, they don't want to be involved with it, but they would love the venison. So what you're doing and sharing and promoting is phenomenal for conservation because that's that's a big part of it. I mean, you know, you're we're managing and helping all these, all these wild animals, but they're a renewable resource and we should be, um, you know, we should be celebrating the meat, you know, it, 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 as opposed to, you know, only celebrating bucks that are 180 plus inches, you know, yeah. I mean, you, you see so much of that content, the hunting world where like, if it's not a banded duck or a 190 inch buck, it's like, no one cares about it. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at my page, I mean, I do, I do go out at certain points of the year and I'm definitely trying to get a buck, but I mean, most of mine, like, I mean, I could, at the end of the day, I mean, I could care yeah. less if I ended up with five does, I'm going to be just as happy because the thrill of shooting some antlers goes away, you know, pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. For me. So, <laughs> that's right. Well, Larry, I appreciate you being on. This has been a blast. I've been, I've been looking forward to this. I'm sorry for, for the delay with my Wi-Fi. Again, can, can you remind everyone where they can find you? Yeah. Uh, Instagram at uh, wild game gourmet. And my website is thewildgamegourmet.com. Well, awesome. Larry, thanks again for being on. Uh, please, everyone, check out Larry's content. You will love it. And um, thanks for listening, and I will see you all next week. I appreciate it, Larry. Yeah, man, thanks.